You're tuned in to the MTGG Cable Cast, 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 where they cover magic, the gathering finance. All right? You don't know about it? You're tuned in right now and get ready to learn some shit. Buckle your seatbelts and light a blunt and get ready for the MTG Cable Cast, 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 starring Reptar and Thirsty, them onion head motherfuckers. I have hit record, so bring us in whenever you want. Cool. Alrighty, everyone. Welcome to the newest episode of the Cabalcast. And this week, we're doing kind of a recap. Uh, so obviously, we have our pick system we use, and this week, we are looking back at Wilds of Eldraine and giving it the Goldilocks treatment with the gift of hindsight, which is always twenty twenty. Yep. So let's take it away. Right. So uh, as you stated before the cast, we're going to do this in kind of a Goldilocks approach. So start off with underhyped, then overhyped, and then kind of just right. So for me to start out, uh, my underhyped card was uh, Moonshaker Cavalry. It seemed like people weren't really talking about it. And that's kind of where we are still. Um, Stock's graph basically shows us it's very slowly trending downward. People are just not interested in seemingly giving their tokens flying instead of trample right now. And it's understandable. When we compare it to Crater Huff, which is basically just the one-to-one -one comparison, Crater Huff is in 100,000 decks on Rec compared to Moonshaker, which is only in uh, 11,000, 12, if you're generous and round up. So it's not like people haven't really gotten the time to kind of play with this card. They just don't seem to be playing it in the way I expected it to just yet. Uh, yeah. They're playing it in like weird Enchantress builds and some other odds and ends like that. It doesn't really seem like they're moving in or whole ass into tokens yet. So there is still the opportunity in the long run for this card to pick up in the way that we thought it would. But I did not expect it to rope for as long as it had. And it still remains kind of this maybe middling card out of woe and not just from a financial standpoint but just from an interest standpoint overall yeah this is one that i think with the benefit of time because obviously crater has been out for a while yeah. comparatively i fully expect it to still grow there uh i mean it's that effect is just popular everywhere it doesn't matter yeah it just is i think there's, so. there's a lot of opportunity for this card to grow i was thinking i keep thinking about it ever since like this episode kind of came up and I realized how much work I did not have to do to prep. And <laughs> right. I was like, why are people, why like, if you're going to play uh, Selesnia, you're going to run Crater Hoof first. Sure, that makes sense. It gives pluses and tramples and Moonshaker gives pluses and flying. Yeah. And then you think about it a little more and you're like, what is the harder keyword to give uh, Selesnia creatures? And the answer is flying. It's not trample. With Craterhoof Behemoth, like you can get that trample. Like the trample is redundant with a number of other options. You might already be playing in the Incarnation Brawn, in uh, Nylia, God of the Hunt, and uh, I Primal Vigor. I think is the two man enchantment that just does it. I mean, yeah. I. Exactly. There's a lot that does it there. Right? You that, know. That's super redundant. But if you wanted to yeah. give all your creatures flying, that is not really attached to green or white. That's more of a blue thing. And yeah. then you're looking at the blue incarnation, Wonder, and archetype of Courage. The blue archetype that strips your... It's, um, yeah. it's a cycle from the original Theros block where your creatures gain a keyword 
and it strips your opponent's creatures of that yeah. keyword. It's like flying first strike, hex proof, uh, some uh, two other keywords that don't matter, right? Yeah. And so it's much harder to get white in Selesnya tokens. And I don't know if people have realized that in concert, these cards are really good. And if you had to pick one over the other, just based on the keywords that are given, maybe Moonshaker is the better option overall. And so I think, like you said, this is just going to take some time for people to really, really kind of like plug it in and figure it out. Yeah, and I, I think that's one of the important things to look at, especially now with us being in the era of magic we're in. Uh, there is a lot less opportunity to quick flip, but there is a lot more opportunity for, okay, let me actually ride this out and see what happens. Yeah. Uh, so it, it is just a more long-term game now, and that's fine. That's just the reality of it. You just need to accept it, you know? Yep. Say lobby. Exactly. But, uh, for you, your under-hyped pick was a little interesting because <laughs> you went off the beaten path here and picked a common. I did. Uh, now... I did when I said, uh, you know, I don't think there is such a thing as underhyped anymore uh, because cards are so mass produced, cards are so widely opened, everything that like the value just isn't there. So I went for a foil common uh, that to me actually has a somewhat viable place in Pauper yeah. and in EDH, in Enchantress, mm -hmm. uh, because it does provide something that the deck, that the archetype doesn't have, which is, you know, card selection. That yeah. just doesn't exist for the archetype. And, you know, that's fine. Um, but I think, uh, I mean, I had to pick one, but yeah. uh, it's now nine cents. The so set. Was... We haven't said what it is yet. So it's Slumbering oh, Keeper. Slumbering Keeper. Yeah, my apologies. It is Slumbering Keeper. Look, man. There's got to be something in one of these sets that's going to be underhyped, okay? I know I said it doesn't exist, and I still firmly believe it doesn't, but I'm probably wrong, and I'm willing to admit that. Uh, you just have to be infinitely more selective now than we have ever been in the past with trying to find stuff like this, because I know I went on a rant at the end of the episode about Agatha Soul Cauldron or whatever, but that's besides the point. Uh this card I thought would have opportunity. I thought there would be fewer foil commons because it's just naturally what's happened mm -hmm. as the game has evolved. Stores have opened collector boosters, and we literally, Star City basically just publicly said, you know, hey, we only open collector boosters now. We will open set for, you know, once it's out, we're not opening nearly as much. And we really just don't care as much. And that's kind of been the story everywhere. So I was wrong. This was not underhyped. In my defense, uh, I said nothing could be underhyped ever again. So well, that's all I got. Yeah, it, like when you look at this card, it, it, it doesn't suffer from the same valuation of Moonshaker Cavalry. It, what it, it it's in this odd spot where there's a pedigree for cards that are similar to this when you look at the uh, the heroic keyword. Oh, and yeah. we had all we had those heroic decks in standard. They got ported to Pioneer for a hot minute, and they did okay. Yeah. And that's kind of what this offers: is you target this with an aura, and you scry. It's just a different version of heroic. It's more of a Bogle style, but that doesn't really yeah. exist. And when we did see the the Bogle deck in Pioneer, it was well before Woe. Uh, existed and the format looked wildly different like light pause was the the new hotness that like yeah. brought that deck kind of to prominence in the format for i think like a pro tour or something so it's not like this pick was just out of left field there is a pedigree no. for this type of effect 
we just didn't get all the pieces necessary to make it good and standard, to make it stand up and pioneer, and then like whatever is going on in Popper is going on in Popper. And so yeah. that's just what it is. Uh, for me, going on now to overhyped, uh, I picked Beseech the Mirror, and I said, this seems like Goblin Dark Dweller's hype for non-legacy <laughs> formats, but it's still an amazing card. And I'm pretty sure I was vindicated uh, when you take a look at top eight and you see this in uh, when you just search for this across all formats and all it does is show up in CEDH. It is not yep. a legacy card because Storm is just actively bad. Like spell combo is just like actively bad. Even yeah. with Mind's Desire, it doesn't matter if you're playing uh, Brain Freeze as your Killcon or Tendrils. It's just a bad deck. It doesn't have play in or much play in Standard or Pioneer yeah. just now. This is basically a commander-only card. It's worse than Balls of Citadel, so you're just not going to be playing this anywhere, and slowly the price on this card is tanking back down to reality. Yeah. Uh, I... I think it is much easier now for people to get caught into the hype trap with cards. Uh... It, and it's it's not just with magic it's you know with Lorcana, with Yu-Gi-Oh, with one piece you know all of them now it seems like people want the new shiny thing mm -hmm. and just look at it in a vacuum and all of a sudden this is the greatest thing on earth yeah. uh which similarly for me my overhyped pick was blossoming tortoise which i said you know look the card was like seven dollars at the time it's down to three or four now yeah and it, it just it was a new toy in a popular archetype lands and most lands people realistically were just like yeah man this is garbage but people on the internet still tried to make it a thing and it's not that good uh it's in a collector booster set which again this is a rare in a collector booster set yep it's it doesn't matter it's it's going to lose price that's just part of how it works um it doesn't have the staying power for lands. It's not fast enough for the deck. Uh, not to mention, it's kind of mana inefficient for what the deck wants to be doing. Um, and it, it just doesn't really see the EDH demand that you would need to have in order for it to have an actual price point. Correct. And I think that's another big part of it is lands is like just not super popular in EDH. Obviously, in Legacy, it's great, yeah. but it's really not too great in EDH right now, and that's kind of where it's at. And until that happens, this card's going to be too much money. I'm sorry. It just is. Yeah, so. I, I honestly thought I was going to be able to uh, toast you on this one because this has been on CK's hot list for uh, – or not hot list. Sorry, they're buy list for a very long time, and they were buying a lot of copies of it. But once they hit some threshold, they just popped off. So I was like, oh, man, I can't wait to see what the hell is going on with this card because I was not paying attention to it at all. Yeah. I agree. I, I don't think it's that good. The goofy standard combo with the enchantment that you could put on the creature land that gives the activated ability to the creature land to pump it infinitely was just too weird. Uh, too yeah. too fragile to actually do anything so yeah uh, let the let this card cool down there's no reason for it to be like twenty dollars or whatever at release this should no. end up probably just being not quite a bulk mythic because over time something silly will happen uh, yeah absolutely uh, like 
the awaken keyword does exist that turns lands into creatures and so yeah. this does have the opportunity to create some really weird synergies in commander and who knows what what the future holds for this card so if it if it falls to bulk so be it i did not think this deserved the hype that it was getting for that fragile little interaction or no. anything that people might have reported it did in older formats yeah and then uh for me my just right card was beanstalk and i actually think that based <laughs> on where we are now with beanstalk it was underhyped under yeah yeah it is currently taking over every format that isn't vintage and yeah. the end i'm pretty sure i talked about that uh, up top when we did the episode initially and there wasn't yeah. a whole lot to say reading the card explains why it's amazing and in concert with Leyline Binding, which is in every format alongside this card right now, there's just nothing you can't do or want to do with this card. And the more you can surround it with free or cheap, or free or mm, reduced mana interaction, delve spells, uh, free yeah. cast spells like the the Force Cycles or the Pitch Elementals, the more yeah. powerful this card gets. So the wider the card pool gets, the better it becomes overall. Yeah. And this is why I joked minutes ago that I did not have to do a whole lot of work for this episode because I like snapped it off. This was woe was a very easy set to read. Yeah. Unless you're trying to read the card Agatha's Soul Cauldron, then you might as well read Storm Cauldron. <sighs> yeah, that card fucking I stand by what I said. It's too much money. The price the price stayed the same. Still too much money. Yeah. Just sorry. So it is beans man we just out here thinking beans. about them beans it, it, hey it clearly works it's pretty good yeah i have to play whole breacher and legacy now because it's very difficult to beat beans when you're not playing beans yeah that's where we are <laughs> pretty much yeah. it is i i won't say it's format warping i don't think it's that bad but it is certainly already format defining in multiple formats yep so my just right was Agatha, yep. not Soul Cauldron, Agatha. So this was sitting at, you know, a little bit under a dollar, and it still is. Uh, the thing that I like about this card is it does gruel things, and it does them well. Uh, it's obviously the reason I think that it was just right is the same reason that I cited for Tortoises being over. And that is that we're in a collector booster era. So it's a co it's a rare, mythic, whatever. Yep. It's not going to be worth a lot of money you know it, there are so few there's maybe one every set which in this one i guess with agatha's soul cauldron whatever but this card's a dollar i think it's still right at around a dollar yeah i think that this is one that's going to sit there for a while and you know it may eventually start to like slowly tick up here and there and i think that's fine it's just you know gonna happen but uh this to me is a pedigree card. Okay. Uh, by which I mean, this is the pedigree of card that will forever occupy what a modern bulk is, a bulk mythic. Uh, it does things, it does them fairly well, but it's not incredibly broken. And, you know, mm -hmm. when mythics were first introduced, a lot of people said, oh, this is just a way to artificially inflate set size. And the scarcity naturally buoyed the price on some of that. Well, we don't have that anymore because, well, 
Infinite that product is opening. Yeah. Infinite product, yeah. When I can open a collector booster and instead of maybe three or four times a box getting a mythic, I can get six in one pack. I don't really know that matters. You know, it, yeah. it's it's not there. It's Shieldreds. It's Soul Cauldrons. Yada, yada, yada. It's, it's just not good. Uh, but there we are. That's my just right. That's the Goldilocks treatment for the set. Yeah, I think it's actually important to remember that when we do these, it's not about picking cards that are expensive for this. It's just these are the cards that are going to have lasting hype. Or for ju- for the Just Right section, lasting hype at this level. It doesn't yeah. matter what the price point is for them. People are just going to be happy for them Oh yeah. whenever they can utilize them, buy them, trade for them, etc. It's just going yep. to keep people interested in the set. Uh, I think a good example of this, if you want to go back even further into an era when... It's still the modern era, but when we weren't yeah. seeing a lot of packs opened, is Restoration Angel. I don't think that card had a ton of hype on it, comparatively no. to the other cards in the set, but people were very happy to own that card, to play that card, to trade for that card, and enjoyed that card and what it did. It, yeah. it was just kind of a workhorse for that set. It made people want to engage with that set. Agatha might not want to make people engage with the set overall, but it, yeah, because there are a lot of other really fun and interesting cards in the set, I think it might get a little overshadowed in that regard. But I think it checks all the other boxes for a card that is or was just right then and is still now in terms yeah. of hype. So it's yet again an interesting kind of way to look at cards in the set, not just from a financial standpoint, right? We got to keep that in mind. It's not... yeah. That's not what all these sets are about. So overall, yeah, Agatha does gruel things and does it at rate and at an enjoyable rate. And for the reasons you cited, well hyped. Yeah. All right. Uh, let's move on to picks. Uh, yes. But I know you you should go first this episode, but we're going to build up into your pick off of okay. the back of mine. Yes. Love that when it comes together. Yeah. Uh, the, my pick this week is Apex Altasaur. So this is yet another enraged dinosaur, uh, but I held off on the pick because it seems non-unique enough that it could have gotten a reprint, and lo, it did. So now is the time. Uh, Apex Altasaur, for those that don't know, because it was only printed in Commander 2019 prior to the Ixalan Commander reprint, is a 10-10 <clears throat> for 7 and 2 green when it ETBs. It fights up to one target creature you don't control. And then it has the enrage keyword. Whenever it is dealt damage, it fights up a, up to one target creature you don't control. So it just comes in and punches everything until it dies, basically. That's just the way it rolls. Yeah. This thing comes in hot and swinging. Pretty great, honestly. It is. And we talked about Silverclad Ferocidons uh, a couple of weeks ago. And how that enraged trigger was a very specific type of control. That doesn't yeah. have to be inside the dinosaur deck. And uh, the and Apex Altasaur is a very similar type of control, but it doesn't ask players to sacrifice permanence. It just starts dealing. It just yeah. throws hands. So, exactly. <clears throat> when I put this right. on my list in uh, uh, on June 23rd, CK was buying 30 at $3.70 in TCG market uh, was $9.47, and there were 160 listings. Uh, 
at the beginning of August, CK was buying three for $11. Sorry, they were selling three for $11, but they were not buying any, but they had moved their buy price up to 640. So they were basically kind of getting ready to stage buy lists for Lost Caverns based on what was there. Now today, CK is buying 22 at $4.25, which is over what my notes had, um, which was 22 at $4. And on TCG Player, there are 116 listings today with a market price of $8.85. When I was taking my notes, there were 114 listings for this version of the card with a market of $9.29. So the market is moving down as we expected it to. And that's why we're kind of here talking about this card right now. Yeah. So when we look at this card, how does it play inside Commander? And it plays just like it reads first you're probably going to look at this inside a dinosaur deck. And after that, I think it's just Big Chungus dot deck. Yeah. You know, a 10-10. Big Chungus. Big Chungus. 10-10 for nine with no keywords. Aside from Enrage, it doesn't trample. There's, sorry, no evasion. It just comes in with hands. Like, yep. that's Chungus. Because that's what happens when you get above rate power and toughness. You usually lack those evasive keywords or those, like, good combat keywords. So you've got to do it via ancillary means so i mentioned earlier like brawn and nylea stuff like that or uh what's the fervor give all your creatures yeah. taste right so when we take a, a broader look at this card in the format uh, a lot of what i said about silver clad still applies apex altosaur is definitely a big chungus so you have to play it in a deck that wants to lean into that strategy but because the enrage trigger is very like generic quote-unquote you can use it to clean up the board in a similar but worse fashion compared to ferocidons because again ferocidons sacks asks you to sack permanence altasaur just comes in like slobber knocking creatures now yeah. <clears throat> like ferocidons not and polyraptor nothing about altasaur locks you into the dinosaurs theme which i believe is the upside here all you have to do is play it in a deck that can put it on the battlefield by any means necessary Though with some of the Rex cards, specifically Savage Order, we might see an uptick in popularity yeah. of this card in the Dinosaur archetype. Right now, it's not as popular as some of the other Enrage control-based control Enrage triggers. Uh, and I want to believe that was mainly because of the price point, not because of the mana value. So yeah. that's what I mean when I when I say this. When you compare it to other similar dinosaurs, it just seems low in population, and I'm hoping that eventually moves up. Now, this is... Oh, and for the... By the by, Savage Order is the card Natural Order. Exactly, to a T. Except instead of search... Exactly. Insect, except instead of searching for a green creature, you get a dinosaur. Yep. Two double green... Sacrifice, I believe, a creature. Go get a dinosaur. That's all. Sorcery. Savage order. Natural order. Very much the same card. Now, <clears throat> this is a card, casually, through and through. It's uh, not offensive in terms of what it does and provides. If you can constantly trigger the enrage keyword, again, like Ferocidons, you'll see major success playing this card. And I think it checks most or all the boxes a casual commander player has when looking at, like, big dumb beaters for their over-the-top ramp decks. And like I said, I know this comes in swinging and probably dies after it comes in because yeah. 
It ETBs, it fights, it takes damage, it, that triggers the enrage, so it fights again and it's going to go until its toughness disappears. There are ways you can make this indestructible at instant speed and just clear the board with Apex yeah. Altasaur. So I'm just kind of like sidestepping all of uh, those hoops you have to jump through to do that, but there aren't many and they're not that they're not that small. They're pretty wide hoops. Yeah. So you can you can and should see this alongside cards like Ferocidon to clean up the board. From a timeline standpoint, right now we want to buy into the dip. That's why I'm really excited to see CK's buy list moving up while TCG market is moving down. With the influx of singles from new product and the holidays upcoming, we might see stagnation all the way until about February 2024 when the next standard set drops. Now again, this is in the Commander product, which was delayed uh, by about a week or two. So the real like glut to market either happens the week we're recording or the week after. I won't really know until it kind of shows up on TCG Player after people buy and crack. I know um, I was able to buy a dino deck last weekend, but I don't know what the the populace at large is able to do. So <clears throat> Althasaur was always a slow gainer with a huge spike resetting the floor at March of the Machine and March of the Machine Aftermath as we got a few new dinosaurs uh, in both of those sets to play with. And that was basically yeah. an unsustainable spike. So the floor cratered and it it's basically risen back up to where it was but not as quickly so it does it does look like the market can probably sustain this card close to 15 in the long run but now that we actually have population coming back in we're going to see a tank and we just want to be right here right now buying this at basically 50 percent to hold on to to move out when this uh hits like 15 again I will say, though, velocity in this card has been slow as of late, but I believe that has more to do with the price prior to the reprint than anything else regarding this card. Like, people might might have seen this card sitting at, like, $15 to $18 and thought that's too much for a dinosaur that just comes in and starts swinging. Like, we are making Heavy Punch dot deck, but we don't need Heavy Punch All-Star. We can figure this out another way. But once this becomes more approachable and hits more content creation channels because of the dinosaur deck, we will see an uptick in people wanting to buy this card overall, which is a lot of what we're looking for. If you didn't buy into yeah. the 2019 deck, which was the Watley deck, I believe, and... I think so, yeah. Yeah. Like, you just didn't know this card existed. Nobody really played that deck on stream, I don't think anybody in commander clash did if memory serves and i don't know no, if don't anybody so. over at game nights did i don't think star city played the the watley deck at all they just pulled the free spells from it and apex altasaur never fit into anything else but now that we have another dedicated dinosaur deck that people are already monkeying with i know uh tomer from goldfish already has his upgrade video out so he's going yeah. he should at least talk about this card in the deck whether or not he keeps it, I don't know. And then Star City is doing upgrade series as well to keep up. So they will again talk about this card. So that's going to continue to put pressure on this card. And if people don't buy that deck, they just want to play dinosaurs. They don't know about Altasaur. Uh, well, guess what? Now they do. And now they're going to come out looking for the single. Yeah. But I, like I said, I think this is probably a four to five month look overall into open market. Reaper Inequity. Uh, we got this in the commander deck for, for LCI, and I don't think we'll see yeah. it again for some time until either we go back to Ixalan or we get another dinosaur-centric set where this could be in the commander deck. And since we know it's coming up for the next, what is it, four, five, six, twelve, 
sets in the next year. None of yeah. them involve dinosaurs, so we're pretty safe for the, uh, or at least insulated for that amount of time. So I think we're we're a okay. And this obviously did not make it into the main set here, so I wouldn't expect it to make it into the main set again. It would just be in yeah. commander product. Cool. By quantity, uh, pretty cut and dry. I'd be happy with about four of these once these hit a price point that I'm happy with, which is probably somewhere <coughs> between five and seven dollars. Um, and I'd move them to locals. But if I wanted to move to buyless, I think the sky is the limit once this hits between five and seven. And I just I just scoop. I'm just yeah. waiting overall before I make any kind of moves. Yeah, I think this one's really good. Um, it, and as I'll touch on in my pick, you know, obviously the tribe is pretty relevant. Uh, people love it. Yep. Jurassic Park has drawn a lot of people in. Uh, anecdotally, today uh, I got off work late because we had like 16 people show up that were literally invisibles up until this set. Uh, so, I mean, there's that going forward as well. And the more of those people that get involved, the more looks cards like this get, the better off they are to have. Well, they so. came in. So. They came in to the store, not just being invisibles, but they wanted to sit down and learn to play at the store to yes. engage with the set, right? Yeah, to en and they literally, they're like, oh, we just hang out with our friends. We've never played at a store. It was literally, we're just here to check this out. You know, we want to see what this is like. It took a little bit longer. I didn't put time limits because, like, it's your first time in a store. I don't want you to have a bad experience, but it got people in. Yeah. And I think that's the nice thing about specifically cards like this. They're it's a big dumb tribe, which feels bad to say because it's not like a dumb tribe at all. It's just this is what casual players want. So it's what draws them in. It's, and as long as you have that, stuff like this is amazing. It is less offensive dragons. Yeah, it is. It's because, less offensive dragons. That's exactly yeah. what it is. Uh, Myreem and Karthus and Ramos, all these yep. other dragon generals that you have are so offensive at the table. <laughs> they are. But, you know, these dinosaurs, everyone loves them. Doesn't yeah. matter. Uh, speaking of generals and dinosaurs and things being less offensive, uh, my pick is Coat of Arms. Uh, similarly, Casuals love it. It was just reprinted in Collector Boosters. So uh, what's going to happen is if you take a look at the stocks graph for literally any printing of this card ever, the same fucking thing that always happens. <laughs> this card is going to go down, and then guess what? It's just going to go back up every single time. It doesn't matter how many times this card is printed, what art it gets, which, by the way, this is unique art, so that is to our benefit. And across the lifetime of the card, like going to Exodus, it's literally only ever gone up permanently. Like it'll, it'll, you know, teeter, teeter, teeter. We'll go down a little bit. Always goes back up. Yep. Just always goes back up. Uh, card is too good for it to have as affordable a price as it does. Uh, now, granted, it's in the commanders of Caverns of Ixalan. Yes. So this is less a call of buy now. And more a call of pay attention for the next couple weeks, because as this product gets opened, uh, this price is going to dip. Now, the nice thing about Caverns of Ixalan is we don't have serialized cards in this set. Thankfully. So this set is not going to be opened into the ground like Lord of the Rings was, like Brothers War was, uh, because people aren't chasing serialized for the money. They're just cracking it for the cards they need, which means there is a chance this stuff starts to stagnate. And then you start to see 
the price go up a little bit faster. Now, in terms of quantity, look, man, it's coat of arms. You could have 200 of these things. You're going to sell them. Yeah. It's, it's literally just what are you comfortable putting in and what is your comfortable out? You know, looking at some of the other printings, it's maybe a month or two, sometimes six or more, depending on the size of the reprint. This one, I similarly to a lot of things I've been picking lately, I'm expecting a tax return time. That's about when you're going to see it March, April. You'll see a little bit more of a return. In the meantime, we have Wilds of Eldraine. Ixalan came out. Uh, we have Ravnica Remastered coming out. There are opportunities for other tribal synergies to pick up, yep. which may accelerate the movement of this card. Mm -hmm. uh, but it's something that, again, being a baseline, this goes in every aggro casual EDH deck you can imagine. Like, this is what you run. I don't think there's too deep. I don't think there is a bad timeline. No. Uh, because this card is just liquid gold. Mm -hmm. It will just sell every time you get it. No. It's just good. Yeah, absolutely. Um, like, you just get... It ages like a fine wine because they keep making new new types. Yeah. Uh, man, they're... Yeah, because... The other keyword to use is kindred, and that doesn't make sense here. New kins, and that doesn't work. They just keep making new types or extending old types, which is great. We're going yeah. to basically two-ish horror sets in a row, and like we could get support yeah. for some tribes that people or some some types that vampires, people... zombies. I was yeah. thinking more along the lines of like literal horrors. Oh yeah, because they exist yeah. in, or nightmares. Uh, yeah, no stuff that's... like the spirit. We have spirits already, but. Not enough to yeah. maybe make a great commander deck. Yeah. So when once those get fleshed out, more coat of arms becomes one of those cards that just kind of fits in. If you really just want to beat down with like four or five things, and it's really it's good. good. That. Like that is it is a card that is beloved. It's a card that does a lot, and it's a card that is used colloquially to describe a number of other cards in the game. Uh, when somebody asks you what monotype is sometimes you just get back it's just white force spike and that's kind of what i mean sliver legion is colloquially known as coat of arms sliver yeah like what does legion do coat of arms that's it what are the others what do? it does Do have to explain the wall of text aside from the indestructible yeah. one that one's easy right that one that one's straight up yeah. and it should never not be like that Watsi keeps trying to change Code of Arms and make it do other things. You've looked at Vanquisher's Banner recently. I think we talked about Zendikar Resurgent not too long ago when we get all these other cool odds and ends that don't quite pay homage to Code of Arms but kind of extend the identity of what Watsi wants to do with these yeah. types around the game. And why not go back and look at some of the original options? It remains one of the best when you want to go wide, especially when you're at a table where its uh, unilateral effect is not really a downside. Yeah. Because it is impactful when somebody has like two or three creatures that share the same type. A, you know, a couple of wizards can start to gang up pretty quickly yeah. if you're not mindful of it. But hey, that's the uh, the gambit you got to pass through with Coat of Arms. Yeah. It's an interesting litmus test. But it's a fantastic casual card, and it allows typal decks to win with minimal resources. Yep. Like every now and again, we talk about, uh, I think the Angel deck is a good example. Uh, we looked at Giada, 
that is a card that is great at the helm of the deck for the most part, if I remember the card correctly, but not good after a rebuild. Like when you yeah. need to rebuild from nothing because you're in mono white, it is very difficult uh, with Giada. But when you have something like Coat of Arms in the deck, it's not nearly that bad. Two, three, four angels can win the game very quickly. Pretty quick, yeah. With the Coat of Arms out. Uh, Arabo, the, the Cats deck, again... It has green, so you have Sylvan Library and Harmonize and some other options to draw cards. Coat of Arms is a great way to come back from that. Uh, yeah. Goblins is another tribe that obviously really enjoys a Coat of Arms style effect because you may, you can make a horde of goblins real quick with Cranko, and then that just ends the game that turn. Like, out of nowhere, you just tap your Cranko, make a bunch of little goblins. You're probably playing Fervor, War Chief, War uh, Chieftain, etc. That all give yeah. your, your crew haste. Coat of Arms wins the game right there i think this is a really good look overall and i think one of the hidden benefits to coat of arms is that it doesn't kind of rub up against that little like how dare you win in combat with uh plus x plus x yeah that we talk about every now and again that crater huff gets that some other some other cards get that that like unnecessary heat because the game won in combat like coat of arms is just really weird it can be really goofy, and it just seems more acceptable to win in combat that way. So it becomes a more palatable card overall for people. And so, yeah, you know, for for everything you mentioned and more, I like and will always like Coat of Arms as a casual pick. Yeah. So uh, I'm all in on Coat. Like I didn't even realize this got a um, a reprint until you mentioned it. Honestly. Yeah. Yeah. I, I've I've started doing some research, but there's so many different things to look at with LCI. Yep. Because the Rex cards are technically inside the spoiler that I just haven't given it my attention yet. So I had no idea this is in the Commander decks. Yeah. So, um, I like it. Um, anybody who actually sits down and trades with Commander players should probably keep Coat of Arms in their binders at all times. Oh, it yeah. It is a, a break-in-case-of-glass kind of move. Definitely. Um, but, yeah, love it. Anything else before we cut out? No. All right. So for at MTG Cabalcast on Twitter, Facebook, Patreon, and YouTube, I am at Halt. I am Reptar. You are at Damon underscore Thurston. We'll see you next week.